1: We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, I try to draw out the Wii because for some reason on Zoom, it always cuts off the beginning of my Wii. So I tried to say it a really long time there. Hopefully it doesn't cut me off this time.
0: I mean, usually it's coming through clear on my end. So as far as I'm concerned, we are back at it.
1: That was, that was pretty good. That was a pretty good impression. Um... You just brought something to my attention before we get into a, the meat of our show. Uh, why don't you Why don't you lay out what is was currently going on with the NCAA and basically a subtweet to Oklahoma State coming from the NCAA?
0: Yeah, the NCAA went ahead and ratified its new constitution. Well done, NCAA! Just in the nick of time, as always. you You're, you're going to want to pay attention to Article Four of the new NCAA constitution, which reads as follows, division and as appropriate conference regulations must ensure to the greatest extent possible that penalties imposed for infractions do not punish programs or student athletes not involved nor implicated in the infractions. Carson, they wrote a new constitution, they ratified it, and it has in it, What can only be described as the Oklahoma State rule. I told you when they handed this penalty down, I told everybody on this podcast, somebody had to be the martyr. The NCAA overreach at some point had to be so great somewhere that one school was going to have to be the martyr for the NCAA for things to change. Lucky us, Carson. Oklahoma State draws the short straw. Oklahoma State is the martyr. Now they're actually going to do things going forward like they should have been been doing them in
1: the past I don't understand like so the the NCAA officially adopted these changes in their own constitution so why are they still punishing Oklahoma State clearly above and beyond any reasonable uh, expectation for what occurred I just how can they have reasoning moving forward but not right now when this punishment's handed down just to, not, not that long ago i don't understand
0: it's, it's incredible it's the same reason that we've got a dispensary on every corner in the state of oklahoma and we've got a bunch of people locked up on marijuana charges why nobody knows why it doesn't make sense it
1: uh... it's so oklahoma state that it hurts because uh, yes you just go back to who killed the bcs well Oklahoma State and by proxy Alabama getting in over them for the, the rematch and a two-team playoff. Immediately they go to a four-team playoff, almost immediately. And it just time and time again, it's like, what can what else can Oklahoma State do to get hosed? And they're getting just thoroughly, thoroughly hosed in this situation. Everyone knows it. Every national rider has said it, yet the NCAA is apparently just going to stick with this. Even though it makes no sense, it's not fair. There's no justice in this at all. Makes zero common sense, let alone legal sense. And then they're basically confirming that it makes no sense. And they, they're confirming that it's not fair to the current players who had nothing to do with Lamont Evans giving out 300 measly dollars. It's just, it makes you want to pull your hair out. It makes such little sense.
0: Yeah, it doesn't make me want to pull my hair out because that's a dangerous game. It might not come back at this point. But yes, the $300 was given back right away. And I mean, the fact that we're still dealing with this, it, it is just the most Oklahoma State thing ever that the NCAA overreaches in a way that is so obvious and so cruel and so unfair that you have to change the entire system at its core to fix it, but Oklahoma State, you still get to serve your postseason ban. you still get your recruiting restrictions, you still get all your probation and everything that comes along with it, but just know, take solace Oklahoma State fans in the fact that we're not going to do this anymore moving forward, take solace in the fact that whenever we find out that Kansas was just handing out bags full of cash to anybody and everybody who wanted one, Take solace in the fact that we're not going to punish their basketball program because that happened a long time ago. It's I mean, Carson, the reality is the system moving forward is going to be the system we all wanted, but it almost makes it hurt that much even more that it was Oklahoma State that had to get that punishment. It could have been any number of schools. It could have been Auburn. It could have been South Carolina. It could have been Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina. It could have been any one of these schools. And it was the one in Stillwater who picked up the phone and said, "Hey, NCAA, something went down on our campus. We want you to know about." That's the one that got punished. That's the one that got everything changed. And trying to ma- trying to wrap your head around that will make you go absolutely insane.
1: Uh, I'm gonna get the bleep button ready. It, it's f- absurd. It's absolutely. F- absurd that the ncaa is doing this i'll bleep those out i promise but i'm getting mad just thinking about it and what i don't understand you laid it out beautifully i agree with everything you just said what i don't understand is why oklahoma state doesn't lawyer up i don't know what the process would be but i would think a lawyer could simply present osu's case to a judge and and present how unfair it is and then throw this new constitution they have literally changed their constitution in oklahoma state's favor meaning this is not what should be occurring they're literally changing a document that hasn't probably been changed in a long time how a lawyer doesn't just spike the football all over them with this in this case i don't know and if i'm oklahoma state I'm, I'm doing it. I'm lawyering the hell up, and I'm fighting it, and I am, not letting, I am not accepting this penalty. And I'm not saying they have. I don't really know what's going on. We haven't heard a whole lot about it since. They got a basketball season to play. But I would be thoroughly disappointed if Oklahoma State, their leadership, just accept this penalty, don't go to the NCAA tournament, and just turn the other cheek. I, don't, I, don't, I hope that's not what they do, Colby but I'm going to be thoroughly disappointed if they do.
0: Yeah, I will too. And the reality is I don't understand the legality of it all. It it seems like there has to be some Avenue because I mean, this new constitution is all but an admission from the NCAA that, okay, we hammered Oklahoma state, everybody freaked out. Let's fix it moving forward. But, but we're not going to fix it for Oklahoma state because we're mad at Oklahoma state for who knows uh, Oliver Des Bryant, any number of things, who knows, I, I, I don't know what you do from here. I don't I don't know the legality of it, but it seems like there has to be a lawyer out there somewhere who could wrap their head around what it would take to right this wrong. Uh, that is so wrong that the Constitution has to be changed and it's been ratified easily because everyone acknowledges, oh, yeah, that's the best way to do it. Maybe a kid that was in fifth grade shouldn't be able uh, – sh- shouldn't have his postseason taken away from him because of what somebody did whenever he was an 11-year-old. That- that's probably a good way to do
1: it. Yeah, it's just it's – it's criminal. It, what the NCAA is doing is criminal. And Oklahoma State should pursue, you know – the, all the legalities at their disposable as a result because they're being completely jobbed here and I think everyone with a brain can see that so anyway we could spend another hour talking about how how corrupt the NCAA is but uh, first let's hear from Chris's University Spirit before we get into the rest of the show it's your one stop shop be sure to shop at ChrisUniversitySpirit.com Colby I hope they start printing some anti-NCAA shirts I'm not sure if the, uh, the licensing permissions they have <laughs> through the NCAA would, would, would agree upon that, but Hey, maybe, maybe Chris's could print us some anti NCAA shirts. What's
0: a, what's a new acronym that we can come up with Uh new constitution. Anyone? I don't know. I don't know what the last day stands for. Somebody throw it out to us on Twitter. New constitution. has to got, be it.
1: First- I got yeah. it. I got it. I got it. I got it. I just came up with this off the top of my head just now. Neutered criminals against <laughs> athletes. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's What's pretty that. Good. That's pretty good for off the top of the dome.
0: That's pretty good. I was I was trying to get there somehow with the new constitution that they ratified, but then I, I couldn't come up with my A's. So if somebody on Twitter can finish my new constitution acronym, uh, I'll appreciate the help.
1: Just just reprint the Boz shirts. I know he went to OU, but his message was the same: national communists against athletes. Was that what it was?
0: That's what it was. I mean, yeah, yeah
1: the Boz just, was spot just. Off just create a, a replicas of those. I think everybody wear those still. I mean, enough times passed between the Boz and Oklahoma. Maybe not uh, neither here nor there. Uh, let's get back to basketball. Speaking of the basketball team for Oklahoma state coming off the, the big win over Baylor Colby. It was a, uh, it was a tough spot for Oklahoma state. You would think coming off the winning, it's Baylor coming back home. There are no days off in the big 12, but you, you did a good job laying out their schedule. this, This was kind of a sleepy spot in the schedule coming off the big win against Baylor. I didn't get to see the point spread. I don't know if you did, but to to come out and be able to get a win over TCU, any wins big in the Big 12, but I thought it was really impressive that they won the game considering it was such a flat spot coming off the Baylor game. Yeah, I
0: was just thinking to myself, I wish I would have looked before the game to see what the spread was because I can't imagine it was more than two or three in either direction. Oklahoma State at home, TCU was coming in 12 and 2 overall, 2 and 1 in conference. TCU is a good basketball team, and Jamie Dixon is a really good head coach. And for most of this game, Carson. It looked like TCU was going to come out on top, and it kind of looked like Oklahoma State was a little bit asleep. It looked like they'd been celebrating that Baylor win for a few days, and they weren't ready to go. I mean, the 20-point first half was absolutely brutal. The three-point shooting, it's its wild because if you take away Keelan Boone, who was the hero of the Texas game, he was the zero of the TCU game. I, I don't mean that in a, in a mean way at all. He had zero points. Uh, On 0 of 7 from 3 and 0 of 7 from the floor, 0 of 0 from the free throw line. He was the hero against Texas. He was the 0 last night. You take away his 0 for 7, Oklahoma State shoots 6 of 12 from 3. The rest of the team was 6 of 12 from 3. That's pretty good. But Carson, the fact that Oklahoma State went 13 of 23 from the free throw line and that percentage went up. At the end of the game, whenever Rondell Walker catches the clutch ones, it, it's remarkable that they were able to overcome that shooting from the stripe and win that game, and it's a testament to how what they do on the defensive end allows them to stick around for 40 minutes, and you just never know what's going to happen in the five seconds. It came up all orange.
1: It did, and I want to get to the guy you named, Rondell Walker, who you were you were wondering aloud where he was. I want to get to him in a minute, but... You brought up a, a point I wanted to hit on too. The the pace of this game reminded me a lot of some old school kind of early two thousands late nineties Kelvin and Eddie games. Just slow, you know, guard, guarding your face off defense. Some bad offense, and you know Oklahoma State had twenty one fast break points against Baylor, and I mentioned on that on our last podcast that it felt to me like they, they had found kind of their identity play intense defense, ratchet up the pace off misses from the other team and just go. And, you know, they they only had, um, let's see here. They didn't have nearly as many fast break. They had two fast break points in the first half and only finished with seven total compared to the 21 they had against Baylor. And my, my point is Colby, like if they're going to be so bad in the half court, wouldn't it serve them better to just, if it's going to be an ugly game, make it a fast, ugly game where their length and athleticism is going to win a lot of 50-50 balls, ugly it up. And, and again, I'm not saying they should be Rick Patino circa 1996 or 95 and run full court press and run high-flying offense, score 100 points. Not, that's obviously not what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is they're horrific in the half court. They're just not a good offensive team. We know this. It's been said. They need to ugly it up in a fast-paced way where their athleticism can kind of take over and be on cruise control as opposed to thinking so much what they're doing offensively with like sets and things of that nature.
0: Yeah, the half court really is tough to watch. And that first half was, I mean, honestly, both halves were not, it was not an entertaining basketball game. The second half, much better. It was 37-31 in the second half as opposed to to 25-20 at halftime. So the second half was better. But there's a middle ground between what is going on now with the offense and running full court press trying to score 100. There's a middle ground. That middle ground is like, I don't know, 68, 72, somewhere in that neighborhood. You don't have to be flying all over the court, playing the fastest pace in the world. But – I mean, golly, this this game, this first half, twenty points in twenty minutes, Carson. It's unfathomable for a team with Bryce Williams, Bryce Thompson, and Avery Anderson to score twenty points in twenty minutes. That that just it can't happen. I mean, quite frankly, it can't happen. And it's great that you get that win, but I I mean, that win doesn't necessarily overshadow some of the deficiencies. It just shines a light, I think, on the character of this team, the integrity of this team, the the fight. In this team. I mean, they have everything taken away from them for something that they had nothing to do with. And they are one and three in conference play headed to Waco. And they beat Baylor. And then they come back from a six point deficit with less than, I think it was less than a minute and a half to go to beat TCU last night after just not being able to score the entire game. Rondell Walker, we were looking for him. We, we, Out loud, Carson, you and I were looking for him when we recorded earlier in the week, and we found him last night in a big, big way. He needed that, and Oklahoma State needed that because there's a big, big difference between three and three in conference play and two and four.
1: I think we should have every show where we wonder aloud where a player is on the Oklahoma State team because all it took was Colby Powell asking a simple question, where is Rondell Walker? And sure enough, He's the player of the game against TCU. He was so big time down the stretch Colby. I think this, we should make this a weekly, if not bi-weekly segment. Uh, yeah, I mean, we,
0: we asked for it, and we got it last night. We're like, where's Rondell Walker? Well, he's out on the wing, and now he's at the free throw line. A- and the take at the end of the game, by the way, because I thought that he was going to settle for a jumper. They come down, down by one. The, you can tell that they want to run it through Avery. Avery gets doubled. He has to get rid of it. Now Rondell has it. He just hit the big three, and you can tell that he's thinking about taking a jump shot, and then he drives, and that dude is set up way inside the, the semicircle for a block charge. But let me ask you this this Carson at the time that Rondell Walker was going to the free throw line he was 0 for 1 on the night 77% on the season but Oklahoma state was 11 for 21 as a team did you think that there was any chance that he hit both
1: Hell no cuz i've watched enough oklahoma state basketball and just you laying it out for me reminded so many times you know there's been you know i've been going to games with my dad since Old Gallagher. I think my first year was Corey Williams and Brooks Thompson. I think it was Eddie's first year, actually. It was my first year going to games, and I've been going for since then. And there were certain years where you just knew if they were like, you just knew early in the season if it was a good thing or bad thing. If a guy was going to the line, like certain years they were good at free throw shooting. I felt like most years they weren't. And it feels like under Mike Boynton, most years they're not. And, <laughs> and especially I don't know if you feel the same way, Colby, but under Mike Boynton, it almost hasn't seemed like a, a lead's big enough. It just always seems to get tight down the stretch, no matter how big their lead is. We saw that against Baylor. Uh, we've seen that many times. And with the way they were shooting in the free throw ball as a team, of course not. Of course I didn't think he was going to hit both. But man, he was, he was clutch. He sank both of them.
0: Yeah, he was majorly clutch, and he needed that because you could tell this year. I mean, your averages don't fall off the way his fell off if you don't lose some confidence. He had clearly lost some confidence in himself and, and in his ability to score the basketball and to shoot the He needed to hit that three-pointer from the wing. He needed those free throws at the end of the game to win the game. You saw him dancing, hitting the gritty after the game, having fun. That's what it's all about. That is so much more fun than wondering – Man, where's this guy been? It's been, I mean, it's been two months now. We can't find him. That is so, so much more fun. And I think it's interesting that you bring up the fact that Mike Williams' teams really have not been very good free throw shooting teams. Last year, it was helped drastically by Cade because Cade was a volume free throw shooter and he was a good free throw shooter. I think he was around about 80%. Uh, it's off the top of my head, so don't, don't hold me to it. But he was a good free throw shooter on a high volume. So... I tweeted this last night, Carson. You have to imagine, you have to, that this team is practicing free throws until the lights in the gym burn out. And then they have to get someone to come replace the light bulb so that they can shoot more free throws. You have to imagine that they're not just not practicing them. At this point, is it just like they're feeding off of each other's negativity? They're feeding off the fact that they're a bad free throw shooting team. Is it mental? I'm wondering, like, do we need to practice more free throws or do we need to take those 30 minutes? we were going to practice free throws and go sit down with a sports psychologist because Carson, I, I, I do not believe that they're just not practicing free throws. It's there's got to be some sort of mental block where it's like there's a piece of plywood sitting right across the rim Guys just
1: aren't good at free throw shooting. I've never understood it because, you know, everyone listening to this podcast or a lot of them have, have played basketball. And it feels like we all, us mere mortals who did, we weren't good enough to play it at Oklahoma State. If we just practice it enough, you're right, Colby. It's muscle memory. Like once I would like practice a ton. Like it was, it was a very high percentage. And but I think when you get to that level, and certainly with, with way more on the line than any of us listening or, or talking have have played, it's just different. And I just think you either have that innate ability to shoot free throws or you don't. Because I watch the NBA. Oklahoma City Thunder have guys who, who couldn't hit free throws to save their lives. They're professionals. These are college kids, so I guarantee you they're practicing every single day, even in their spare time. I just think certain guys just don't, just can't do it. And I, I think we've seen that for years, not just under Mike Boynton. And so I don't, I don't think it's necessarily them feeding off each other. I just think they have a group of guys, a they are not. Let's, let's not pretend they have a lot of good shooters on the team either, Colby. And I think that's part of it. If you're a natural jump shooter, free throws are, are pretty easy. That's why Cade was so good at them. And, you know, certain guys like Thomas DeZagua, who are just straight-up straight shooters, Keaton Page, I go on the list. But I think it's more of that necessarily than, than feeding off each other. But it's a huge problem. When you can't score from the field and you can't hit free throws – that's a huge problem, and that's something that they're going to have to deal with all year.
0: Yeah, I mean, the worst thing for me as an Oklahoma State basketball fan is when the opposing team picks up that seventh foul. Because now I know that the next three times, that, that including that time and then the next two times, I should say, that an Oklahoma State guy gets fouled and he's not going to the rim, Gosh, if you don't make the first one, it's a turnover. It is a turnover if you don't make the first one. And that front end of that one-and-one was just biting Oklahoma State yesterday. I mean, we saw it with – I think Cissé had one. I know Ice had one where he missed the front end of a one-and-one. There were a couple missed in the first half as well in the one-and-one. And And then when the other team gets to ten, I kind of – It's like an exhale. It's like, okay, at least now we get two. You figure you can make one of two. It's not an empty trip. It's not a turnover. You're at least gaining something there. It's just wild, the lack of confidence going to the line and Look, I know last night, Musa Cissé and Caleb Boone, those are your two big men. Those two combined to go two for eight from the line. They were both one for four. So if you take those eight free throws out of it, then the, the rest of the team would have been 11 for 15, which is fine. It's good. It's not great. It's 11 for 15, a lot better than 13 of 23. But earlier in the season, I really thought Cissé was, was stroking it pretty well from the free throw line. Caleb Boone, you know, he only played six minutes last night, gets four free throws. So he's being aggressive when he's in there. He's getting fouled. But, you know, I don't expect him to be a great free throw shooter. But, I mean, one for four just – I mean, let's let's be blunt. One for four just isn't good enough even for a big man. You, you've got to be making half of those. And I know it's a small sample size one game. But in the Big 12, that could be the difference at the end of the year between being 7-11 and 11 in, in conference and being, you know, 10 and whatever in conference, 10-8 and eight in conference. It's just – hitting those free throws is so important. So Oklahoma State, Carson, I I think we can say it. Little fortunate to get away with a win last night considering the amount of missed free throws. But if if we want to just be fair on both sides of the ball, I mean, Oklahoma State's defense was impressive. TCU turns the ball over 22 times, Carson, to Oklahoma State's 11. How do you overcome 10 missed free throws? You double them up on turnovers.
1: That's their borderline... Elite defensively, I'm willing to go there. I mean they're they're a bear defensively. and they and there's nothing wrong with being a poor offensive team and a great defensive team. How many times did we see that under Eddie? like Carson. they were winning games with fifty points under Eddie.
0: How many times did we see that in the fall under gundy?
1: Big <laughs> crossover I mean, there the jim the Jim Knowles era was was kind to to the the offense lacking points. that's for sure. God the walls are thin
0: between Gallagher and Boone. So the the style of play crept over, slow everything down, keep it close, beat them at the end with defense. And and by the way, let's not, uh, let's not forget to give credit to, Oh my gosh, who had the block, the big block that led to the the final possession Tyreek Smith. Smith. Yeah. Tyreek had the block. So credit to him for the block. Uh, but yeah, this is very much uh, one of the best defenses, maybe in college basketball. I have to go look at the analytics and see what those say. I don't know, Carson. I'll put them at number two, right behind Georgia.
1: Well, I have the. You, you mentioned the candidate for this week's edition of Where Is He or What's Going On with Him. What's going on with Caleb Boone? Good question. You mentioned you mentioned it. He he didn't play a whole lot in this game. Six minutes. He was one of their best players last year, and. I don't want to overreact after every single game, be like, what's wrong with this guy? What's wrong with this guy? But I, I just wanted to ask you just, what do you think's going on there? It's a great
0: question. You know, he was out to start the season. He comes back in. And I, I don't know if last year he had a more defined role. You know, last year, Musa Cissé wasn't here. That that guy's are transferring. And last year, Caleb Boone was the big man in the middle. This year, you've got Cissé and you've got, uh, you know, Tyreek Smith is giving him some good minutes. Matthew Alexander Moncrief is still getting minutes. I think he just doesn't have a defined role. And he's played so poorly that now he's getting so few minutes. He played six minutes last night. It's, I mean, obviously, you, you could say that it's a confidence issue. And I'm sure that that is somewhat part of it. But, I think it's also just the fact that he no longer has a defined role on this basketball team, and if you don't know what your role is, you don't know how you fit with which unit, you, you don't have the chemistry with the other guys out there because you don't have a role, I mean, that that can be tough for a basketball player, I'm sure, to climb out of. That's just obviously me looking down 30,000 feet view but um, I, I think his lack of a role on this team is really hurting his ability to get into any kind of rhythm and be the type of player that we saw for, I'd say half the season last year.
1: Oh, that's, that's your points well-made. And I, I tend to agree with that. And I, I do wonder if Mike likes to play a little smaller. I mean, Cissé's minutes haven't been huge this year. They only had 20 minutes against TCU, uh, Caleb Boone, six minutes. It seems like Mike likes to go a little smaller uh, with his lineups and it. it it's working. He's won two in a row, one over the number one ranked team in the, in the country. So that's, uh that's something to monitor moving forward. I, I don't think Caleb Boone's going to be playing six minutes every night. So we'll, he'll probably be the player of the game. Like uh Rondell was, you know, I, I wanted to finish up with, with more talk on Rondell. Apparently Colby, he only had one contact lens during the game winning stretch. He got hit in the face in the first half and, and lost his contact. What? So yeah, that's, it's apparently he had one good eye and scored all 12 of his points was a perfect four or four from the field. And how about this Colby Rondell Walker over the previous nine games has had 14 points total. He had 12 last night against TCU. He, he wow. was, he was awesome. And I was as surprised as you were because I really thought last year Rondell Walker was already becoming like an Ivan McFarlane. for Oklahoma State fans he was like an immediate fan favorite for the energy he would bring off the bench defensively he would always dive for loose balls would score I mean he he was a capable shooter and he was missing I thought it was really a really salient point by you to bring up his lack of involvement because don't you feel like last year Colby he had really carved out a niche and was already like an instant fan favorite
0: Yeah, last year he fit so, so well beside Cade. He just They made a great team uh, in the backcourt defensively. On offense, Cade was setting him up, kicking it out to him, getting him good looks. This year, no Cade. The offense just all around isn't as strong. But you still don't expect him to disappear like that. You know, sophomore slump is a real thing. Tons of roster turnover, guys out, guys in. So I, I understand that that can be tough to get a handle on. But like you said, Carson, it's not like he was just a decent freshman. He had won over the hearts of Oklahoma State fans. And that Kansas game that I was at last year was a big part of it. When K jumps out of bounds, throws it in, outlet to Rondell, and one, you beat Kansas on your home floor. He was really becoming a, a bit of a an, an very early on kind of folk hero for Oklahoma State fans. Local guy, Putnam City West. Wins the state title in high school, goes to Oklahoma State. He's just – you posted a junkyard dog gif last night um, on, on Twitter. He was a junkyard dog, man. He played tough. It was that Eddie mentality. And then maybe maybe his role isn't as defined this year too. I, I don't know. And at that point, do you start asking the question, is Coach Boynton, uh, you know, playing too many guys? Are, are the rotations too – muttered if you will to kind of all over the place i mean obviously he knows his basketball team a lot better than i do um and it kind of seems like even coach point and carson is just trying to figure out exactly which buttons to press to get this team to score if rondell walker can be the guy he was last night that is a big button that will help a lot of things
1: Yep, yeah, no doubt that's that's a huge factor uh moving forward so, Oklahoma State coming up. Let me pull up their schedule. Who they got next? They've got at Texas on Saturday, then Iowa State on the 26th. What day is that? That is so a Wednesday. Wednesday. So, look at a nice little break in there, which they desperately need after all the miles they've traveled the last, you know, three or four games. So, you got at Texas, at home against Iowa State, and then uh, the game against Florida, the, the Big 12 SEC Challenge, and then at K-State and Bedlam at home February 5th. So not an easy stretch by any means, but certainly easier with it than they've just gone through. So we'll have to see how to, how uh, Rondell can keep playing for Oklahoma State. Uh, we do have some football news, Colby. This so This frankly shocked me for a lot of reasons, but Apparently, Derek Mason, the uh, defensive coordinator at Auburn, according to Bruce Feldman, uh, he says, sources Derek Mason has emerged as a strong candidate for Oklahoma State's defensive coordinator vacancy. The Tigers ranked number four in the SEC this year and fewest yards per play allowed. And people will remember Derek Mason was the head coach at Vanderbilt, which, for my money, is one of the toughest Power 5 jobs in the country. Uh, before that, he was with uh, David... Uh, david shaw at stanford it was his right hand man so gundy has a little bit of history with him playing at stanford in the fiesta bowl maybe they crossed paths then but what did you make colby of the news uh, that Dirk mason's emerging as a leading candidate
0: i was a little surprised to hear it honestly because you know maybe he wants to come coach under gundy and he saw what oklahoma state's been doing defensively and what jim Knowles just got out of oklahoma state but I mean, Carson, the idea that Oklahoma State would A, have a big enough checkbook to lure a coach out of the SEC. I mean, Auburn's not Bama, Auburn's not Georgia, but Auburn's Auburn. I mean, they're paying their coordinators. So A, you've got to have a big enough checkbook to lure lure Mason out of Auburn. And then you have to convince him that this is a better job in the Big 12 than being the D.C. at Auburn is in the SEC. I mean, even this year on a bad Auburn team, and that was a bad Auburn team, they locked down Bryce Young, and this was whenever he had uh, John Mechie and and Robinson as well. So, I mean, that was a good defense, Carson. I I think this would be a really good hire if Oklahoma State could get him. It was was surprising to me, though, because, I mean, defensive coordinator jobs in the SEC are big time, especially, you know, Auburn, again, they're not Alabama, they're not Georgia, but they wanted. to – National championship in the last decade. They're certainly not Vanderbilt or Mississippi State or Missouri. So uh, I, I think it would be a big deal for Oklahoma State as a program to kind of have that recognition that you've risen to the level that you can get that guy. Does that kind of make sense? What I'm getting at there?
1: Yeah. Uh, no. I I totally get where you're getting at on on all those fronts, and I I see it from both sides. I see it from your side in that the guy makes 1.5 million dollars at Auburn. Is he going to make that at Oklahoma State? That I, I mean, I know they were willing to, to up Jim Knowles offer, but 1.5 million for a guy who's been a, a defensive coordinator for one season at, at Auburn, that's a lot of money. And I think that's curious to me. I think him going from Auburn defensive coordinator to Oklahoma state is a curious move for me, but to me, it makes a lot of sense. Or let me get to the other reasons I, I caught me off guard was this is totally not a Mike Gundy hire stylistically. He tends to hire guys who have way less of a name that he thinks won't get, aren't going to get plucked in a year or two. We've seen that time and time again. And to hire a, a former sitting head coach in the SEC that you would think of Oklahoma State as a good year defensively, which they have a lot of returning talent coming back, you think they would? I think, it's, I think Gundy I would, thought, would have thought this was a risk that he'd get hired away too quickly. But I think it's a I think it'd be a great hire because his history is is there with at Stanford. I mean, nobody wins at Vanderbilt. James Franklin maybe won a little more than most. But where it makes sense for me, Colby, is there's rumblings. Him and Brian Harson aren't getting along that great, the head coach at Auburn. Brian Harson's probably gonna get fired soon. I think, I think Mason can look at the longevity of Mike Gundy and see that Mike Gundy's gonna be around as long as he wants to be. We all know that. So that's a stable job that he can go and learn uh, the the system that Jim Knowles had so much success with. And maybe he's viewing this as a stepping stone to get a head coaching job, which with more stability than he would have at Auburn. That's the only reason it makes sense for me from Mason's standpoint. But for Mike Gundy to go get get, get this guy, I, I would love that hire. And frankly, it shocks me because I was totally expecting an off the radar name that I had never really heard before.
0: Yeah, and again, this isn't a done deal. These are rumors, uh, but it's pretty heavily reported in a lot of places that Oklahoma State and Mason are getting close. And, and I guess, you know, talking about his stuff at Auburn, his situation at Auburn, I hadn't read until just now uh, the report in the Oklahoman, and, and this originally came from Brandon Marcello of 247 Sports, reported that Mason and head coach Brian Harson, quote, have not been on the same page lately with staffing and philosophy. So maybe he just wants to go somewhere else, like you said, the stability of Mike Gundy, and – you know, maybe he sees Oklahoma State could maybe be a stepping stone job for him back to a head coaching position. He was head coach at Vanderbilt for eight seasons, Carson. He had a stretch at Vanderbilt where he won 24 games over the span of three years. Derek Mason was a good head coach in a bad situation. I I, I truly think that. And now he goes to Auburn to be the D.C. Is there one year. I mean, they were pretty good in his one year there they're 37th in the country and third down conversion percentage which was a big thing under Jim Knowles and you know is that as good as Knowles no but guess what if he was as good as Knowles Columbus would have came and got him so you, you can't always get what you want as they say uh but yeah I think Derek Mason would be a great hire
1: Carson well Mike Gundy's talked a lot you know post-bowl game pre-bowl game about you know Chad Weiberg and President Trump stepping up to you know, elevate Oklahoma State and, and take take the next step forward to become, quote unquote, a blue blood or have a logo, things of that nature. So, Jim Jim Knowles is making eight hundred grand, and we all heard the speculation he was going to get a big raise to stay. I would guess, you know, Mason's making one point five at Auburn. I would guess that he would be willing to take a slight pay cut, maybe one million dollars total, to come to Oklahoma State and sacrifice a little bit of money with that stability that way you're not just looking for a job at the end of next year so that and obviously if he's not getting along with harson that makes the the pay cut even more easy easier to stomach so that and again you're right this is all reports but bruce feldman is is one of the more well-respected reporters in, in all of college football so i think i think he's he's on the trail here and and i wouldn't be surprised if if something isn't happening uh pretty soon with that but I I would love this hire and that would be uh that'd be a big time hire for Mike Gundy it really would I'd be impressed with that
0: yeah big time hire for the program to be able to go to the SEC Auburn again a a school that's won a national championship uh and has some good teams over the last decade to go poach their DC to make a lateral move to come to Stillwater it'd be a big deal
1: yeah. And if he does become the defensive coordinator, he's losing a starting cornerback. You know, I, I was waxing poetic about how loaded Oklahoma state secondary was uh, coming into next year, but uh, Jarek Bernard Converse has entered the transfer portal. And that's a, that's a huge loss. I mean, he's an all big 12 corner. He's in the transfer portal. He could come back, but he has one year remaining. Um, it doesn't appear like he'd be coming back, but that's a, that's a big loss Colby. And I don't know how you felt about it when you saw the news, but, if I'm Bernard Converse, I'm either staying at Oklahoma State or I'm turning professional. Like, is his stock going to get any higher after being an all-big-12 all corner and, and everything he's put on tape the last two years? He's been, he's been really good for the last couple of years. I, I, would, I just figured he, he would go pro before entering the portal. But we're seeing guys enter the portal left and right on defense because they lost their defense coordinator. Yeah, I almost wonder, Carson, if it's one of those things where it's been, I think I saw earlier,
0: 43 days now since Jim Knowles was announced that he was going to Ohio State. And maybe it was just he wanted to throw his name out there and see who came calling because he just kind of wants to know who he's going to play for. You know, I mean, we're getting into the second semester now. If guys are going to make moves and do something else, it's got to happen sooner rather than later. Uh, they are, after all, student athletes. So I-, I think it could just be as simple as that. Totally wouldn't surprise me if he came back to Oklahoma State. Wouldn't surprise me if another program wowed him either. I just uh, I hope he'll be back in Stillwater. But look, when a guy's coach leaves, when their positioned coach, their coordinator on their side of the ball leaves, I just have a hard time telling a guy, No, you need to be loyal to the program no matter who they hire. I mean, that's your position, coach. That's the guy that you're trusting to get the absolute most out of you, trust you, put you in the best position to be successful, and get you to that dream of playing on Sundays. And, I mean, if the guy that you chose to play for and chose to trust with all of that is no longer around and you want to survey your options to see who you're entrusting with that next, I can't blame that guy.
1: Oh, I can't either. And you're right. Like, you don't know who's going to come calling. I mean, uh, Tanner McAllister's going to Ohio State. Like, that's some like for for kids that are at Oklahoma State that weren't recruited by the big boys, like that's gotta be exciting. Like, as as loyal as they are to Oklahoma State, like, you know, f- like if Florida State called me and wanted me to transfer from Oklahoma State, like it'd be tough for me not to want to put the Seminole helmet on, you know, and we don't know who potentially could reach out to, to Bernard Converse. So I don't, I don't begrudge him at all. I just I kind of thought he might turn pro with because I think he's that good. And so it, he, has, he can come back. Again, it's early. We don't know who is going to enter the portal and come back or potentially leave, but they do, they do lose Christian Holmes. But Colby, I, you definitely want him to come back, obviously. But man, again, Corey Black and Jabbar Muhammad really impressed me. Those two guys look ready to start next year. So while losing Converse would be tough, really tough, you, you would definitely want an all big 12 guy to come back. I have a lot of confidence in Corey black and Jabbar Muhammad. I really do. Yeah, I do too.
0: Carson, the, the thing that I worry about, you know, if you go into this offseason, you lose Malcolm, you lose Devin Harper. If you lo- if you do end up losing Bernard Converse, Harville Peel, Tanner McAllister, you, you lose all these guys, Carson, in your, your back seven, if you will. I mean, the depth is what concerns me. It's it's not necessarily that first unit because the guys backing up, Malcolm and Devin and Colby and all those guys, those guys were pretty good. But... The next round of backups are going to have less experience. It's just they're, they're not going to have been around Knowles for as long. They're not going to have been a part of the defensive culture at Oklahoma State for as long. So I don't worry about Corey Black and Jabbar Muhammad. I just worry that Oklahoma State gets back into a position that we've seen a number of times, Carson, where those starting 11 are good. But once you need guy 13, 14, and 15 to step up, it's just the dip is too large, and then you end up losing a game that you shouldn't. Uh, and hopefully that's not the case next year on defense.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. So a lot to be determined: who the coordinator is going to be, and who's staying, who's going with the portal, and all and things of all of that nature. But uh, we do have some news in the Big Twelve. The Big Twelve is engaged in uh, forming two team div or seven two seven team divisions uh, because that's kind of a mandate from the NCAA in terms of you know. uh, Let's see here. NCAA rules mandate divisions and leagues with at least 12 teams. So they're in talks to split up the the league whenever the new teams come available. And that'd be two 17, seven team divisions. I'll spit it out eventually, but um, the big 12 is going to look a lot different, obviously with the new teams coming in Colby, but the most fascinating part about this, don't they have to put Oklahoma and Texas in different divisions to ensure one of them doesn't go to the big 12 title game once they do. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, OU in
0: Texas, I would imagine the dream for the sec would be that they're in different divisions and they meet up in the conference championship. But if you're the big 12, I mean, why are you not sticking it to OU in Texas at every chance you get? I I would be just absolutely giving it to them. And I saw these come out the other day and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, how long are they going to be here? Like, they're clearly overstaying their welcome at someone else's house. You've all got that friend or that, that, that couple of friends that it's like everybody else leaves and then they stick around for another half hour as you like take one step toward the door every two minutes. You know, OU and Texas are that friend right now. How much longer do you think that they really want to stay in that house, Carson?
1: Well, I think they want to stay a lot longer now that the, big, now that the playoffs not expanding until 2025, 2026. I really do. I mean... Yeah. And, again, I've been saying this the whole time. Everyone kept saying, oh, well, Oklahoma's going to play one more year. Texas is going to play one more year, and they're out. They're going to the SEC. I'm like, where are they getting $80 million apiece? Like, I don't care how rich Texas is. I don't care how much money OU's athletic department has. They don't have $80 million laying around to just fork over to leave. And you'd be damn sure the remaining teams in the Big 12 – Bob Bowlesby with his goofy ass signature isn't going to just say, you know what, we'll, we'll negotiate. We'll, we'll leverage that buyout down. You guys go have fun in the sec. That ain't happening. I've been saying from the start, they're not going anywhere until 2025. And that's, that's how I felt now that the playoffs are not expanding until the new TV contracts in 2025, I feel even better about that prediction. So they're, they're going to have to hang around because financially. And that's before we even get to the fact that does Oklahoma and Texas, do they really want to go to the SEC with a four-team playoff? I don't know. They probably do to collect those paychecks from the SEC. That's, that's for sure. But from a competitive standpoint, I don't know how, and especially with Lincoln Riley bouncing out of town and going through all this upheaval in Norman, uh, Oklahoma and Texas are going to be stuck going to Provo and Cincinnati and Houston in my opinion, until 2025.
0: Yeah, and I don't hate that, Carson, because yes, they're unwelcome guests at this point, and yes, we'd kind of just rather them get on and and leave us to our business. That's going to leave a three-year stretch where the Big 12 is going to be pretty formidable, Carson. You add some of these other schools, and and there's going to be just a little bit of overlap with OU and Texas before they leave. I mean, just the brands of OU and Texas in the new look Big 12 will be around for a few years, and that, Carson, will have a chance to be easily the second best conference in college football. So I'll be curious to see how that plays out with the divisions and with the overlap before OU and Texas are out the door.
1: Yeah, it'd be interesting. You know, Dennis Dodd put out, he's the one that that kind of broke the news and he kind of speculated what the divisions would look like. I want to get your opinion on this. Um, He has the North and the South again, and I can't decide. Like I, I can't decide one way or the other, but I'll spell it out for you. Big 12 North, Cincinnati, BYU, Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. That's the Big 12 North. Big 12 South, Baylor, Houston, TCU, Texas, Texas Tech, UCF, West Virginia, which to me, it almost needs to be east and west with how far west BYU is and how far east. UCF, and West Virginia are. I think the North is way better off the top of my head. I mean, you got Baylor in the South, but then it's Houston, TCU, Tech, Texas, UCF, West Virginia. I think the North would be loaded with Cincinnati, BYU, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Oklahoma. Uh, that, that to me, I don't, I don't like that one bit really for Oklahoma State. Yeah, that would be really heavily stacked
0: in favor of the North. The the South would essentially be Texas and the East schools, West Virginia and Florida, or uh, yeah, West Virginia and UCF. Uh, Everybody else. Well, I'm Baylor. Yeah, Baylor's in Texas. I'm just all the Texas schools. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed that part. Yeah, all the Texas schools and then the two schools out yeah. east. But, yeah, I mean, for shoe that would leave you with OU, obviously, who under Brent Venables, I'm sure, is still going to be a very formidable pro- program. That would leave you with uh, Cincinnati, Iowa State, BYU. I mean, that's a much more loaded division because those of us from this part of the country who aren't making these dumb polls and talking about teams to watch next year we all know that texas is trash until further
1: notice so them being in the south doesn't carry much weight No, um, i'm with you there and and that's just and again this is just dennis dodd speculating but i just hope my only hope is they don't make it so lopsided like it was with the old big 12 north and old big 12 south i mean that was just completely unfair i mean i mean you had oklahoma state you had mike leach with tech and then oklahoma and texas at their zenith and a and even in the south and then you had all the terrible teams in the north that just weren't any good so i just that's that's my hope and again i i do think they are going to split up texas and oklahoma but um but you're right colby i mean again i you and i have been trumpeting the big 12 for a long time that would be a legit conference. And I mean, if, if they don't start getting more respect than the big 10 with that, with that league, then something's seriously wrong. I and mean, something may seriously
0: be wrong because the people who decide uh, what to show, a lot of them are big 10 people, you know, it's just the way it is. That's kind of more toward the, the media Central Northeast. Um, So yeah, Big Ten controls a lot of the narrative. Big Ten people are in positions about what gets shown. You've got a Big Ten guy that's the face of college football with Ohio State. So they're always up there dealing with Ohio State. But that new look Big 12, especially in the overlap years, would have a serious case to be the second best
1: and the second most covered conference in college football. Yep, I agree. Uh, Speaking of Oklahoma State standing nationally, ESPN ranked the top uh, 100 games of the entire season. And Oklahoma State comes in at number four, number five, and number six, which are their last three games of the 2021 season. They got Bedlam ranked fourth, Oklahoma State and Baylor in the, in the uh, Big 12 title game fifth, and then Oklahoma State beating Notre Dame sixth. So the, the cardiac cowboy moniker was back in a big way for oklahoma state colby but it is cool to see them get some recognition because as much as we rail on the national perception they got a lot of respect here having number four number five and number six all in a row yeah
0: absolutely they do that's big time for oklahoma state and you know that shows there were some eyes on oklahoma state this year and this was a good year for those eyes there have been years carson let's be honest It's okay that y'all aren't seeing too much of what's happening down here. But this year we wanted all of the eyes on Stillwater and Oklahoma State by playing a series of thrilling, exciting, and the one heartbreaking game uh, were able to put themselves on
1: a national stage. They sure were. Let's get to uh, Bullets and BBs. This is where you got positives and negatives for the week. Since it is, uh, we're taping this on Thursday, going to air about Friday, maybe Thursday night. What do you got for your, uh, your Bullets? Colby Powell.
0: Carson, I, I can't go any more obvious. I'm going chalk. Rondell Walker, congrats to you, young man. That was a big, big night for him, big night for the program. Uh, I mean, the feeling, the energy around the program, so much different than it would have been today had they not pulled that out. And Rondell Walker, with the big three from the wing, the great decision to take it to the basket at the end of the game and the two very clutch free throws, it just, it really doesn't get any better than that.
1: Yep, shouts to Rondell. He was uh put on a milk carton by Colby Powell and he he answered the bell with uh with, with a vengeance. So that was that was excellent. I'll stick with the basketball. Uh I really like Tyreek Smith. I mean, his stat line's not gonna blow you away. Two points, seven rebounds, two blocks, and a steal. But quote from Mike Boyden, Tyreek gives us a different element than Caleb and Musa. We can switch more comfortable with him because he's got pretty good feet. He can switch onto a guard. And at least for a couple dribbles keep them in front and he's just as good a rebounder he's a better rebounder probably than caleb and just as good as musa is so it appears tyreek smith's really impressed mike boynton he's impressed me you know he was a pretty big name transfer coming in and just i thought he played excellent against tcu and perhaps is carving out a a significant role for oklahoma state yeah absolutely
0: he was great last night and I like what Boynton said about being able to switch with him. He's got good feet. He's not quite as big as those other guys, but he is quicker, and the athleticism is definitely there. We saw that on the block at the end of the game last night. Carson, you mentioned the milk carton. I got a question for you. Do you drink milk, and if you do, plain chocolate or strawberry?
1: It's so funny you brought this up because I hadn't purchased milk in years, and... I'm trying to eat a little healthier. And uh, I'd read a few articles, and a lot of people suggested milk on there for breakfast. So I drink milk in the morning and I, I go straight up 2%. You know, I'm pretty plain Jane when it comes to that, just plain 2% milk for me.
0: All right. See, I'm a little di- I've got to go with the chocolate. I'm a chocolate guy, I can do strawberry. I can't do regular. I can't drink regular milk. I've got to have the flavor in there. I don't know what it is. Ever since I was a kid, the regular milk just didn't sit right with me. And I've been a chocolate or strawberry guy, but I'd say like 80% of the time it's chocolate, 20% of the time it's strawberry.
1: Now, why did you bring this up?
0: Uh, you said I put Rondell on a milk carton. Got me thinking about milk.
1: What oh, had. okay. <laughs> I thought there was some, I thought you were going in another direction. You're sticking with Rondell. I got you. Okay. So
0: we used to record these in the middle of the day. Now we record them at night. So my brain wanders a little bit bit more uh BB Carson this this is not my mind wandering this has been an entire day of this BB coming to you ceilings, Carson, ceilings get the BB because as I've talked about, we have a child joining us in April, and we're redoing some rooms in our house. Two ceilings need painted today, Carson. I paint the ceilings I look up I mean I'm looking up on painting but I get done and I'm like, man, that didn't do anything like. They don't don't even look painted. I thought maybe once it dried, I don't know. I'm an idiot. Long story short, I'd gotten some bad paint, or maybe I got the wrong brand. I don't know. But I was basically just pushing water into these ceilings. So I have to go to Home Depot, exchange the paint, come back, paint the ceilings again, and painting ceilings is not fun. Your your neck is all bent out of shape. You're going crazy. Carson, ceilings get a BB because I spent – basically my entire day fighting the ceilings in my house. And I am truly, truly exhausted from it.
1: Oh man. I, I, that sounds like a total nightmare. <laughs> oh man. I hate that for you. That sounds awful. Uh, my BB is going to out a little out West to the desert. Cliff Kingsbury. H- has anyone oh. failed at their given profession? Upward. Has anyone failed upward more than Cliff Kingsbury? And I'm talking about beyond sports. No. Anything. How in the world did this guy, A, get the Arizona Cardinals job, and, B, run a team that at one point had the best record in the league, which I still – we all kind of knew that was, that was misleading. But still, they got to get rid of this guy. He is not an NFL head coach. He needs to go be an offensive coordinator at – Uh, at the college level in my opinion he is not an NFL head coach I just thought he did a horrible job with the Cardinals this year the only thing that I can think to explain the
0: career arc of Cliff Kingsbury Carson he is a truly truly good-looking gentleman and I think that maybe he tricks people with his good looks into really liking him to the point where they give him jobs that he is unqualified for. What do you think about my theory?
1: I, I totally agree. Like, if he looked like Charlie Weiss, <laughs> would he be the head coach at Arizona right now? Absolutely I, I, that's a serious question. I'm not even being, like,
0: facetious about that. I'm, I'm half joking on this point. I'm half joking. I, I really do think that – not. He's a good looking guy. Great smile. It gives you confidence. You trust this guy. It looks like a good guy and you like him. You give him the job. He fails. You're like, Oh, you, you just sigh. But I mean, yeah, that's probably part of it. I'm, I'm only half joking there.
1: Well, the NFL is a copycat league. We all know that, but not every head coach is Sean McVay. Not every, not every skinny attractive male head coach that has a half beard is a great offensive mind head coach for the NFL. That's just not like, look, we all love Zach Taylor. He's doing a decent job with with Cincinnati now that he has Joe Burrow, but like not everyone's Sean McVay and not everyone's Lincoln Riley for that matter when it comes to offensive genius. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury couldn't win in college with Patrick Mahomes and you're expecting him to win the NFL with Kyler Murray. I just, I don't know. He, He gets my BB for the week. Yeah, I think that's a good one. That was beyond
0: embarrassing. Beyond embarrassing what they threw out there Monday night. So that's a good one. I kind of expect that he'll be back because, again, he's just strikes me as the type of guy who's going to get that one more chance. But, I mean, what they accomplished this year, the way they fell off a cliff at the end of the season, no pun intended, Um that's about the floor
1: Fell off a cliff. Nicely done.
0: Yeah. No, I, I didn't mean to. And then I caught it at the end. Um, that's about the floor as to what you can be allowed to accomplish with the talent on that roster, which obviously includes Kyler Murray.
1: Yep. He might be, he might be getting canned. Apparently Bidwell the owner's not happy and I can't really blame him. Uh, Colby and I are, we're going to finish this up with our one and done picks for the week. Colby and I are big golf one and done pickers and golf gamblers and I just kind of wanted to – we're going to start doing this earlier in the week so if people that are in one and done leagues can hear our rationale. Uh, did you see Matthew Wolf shoot 78 today, by the way? Carson, I did. It's so, so tough. He's
0: just so up and down, unpredictable. Uh, you just don't know what you're going to get from day to day. A lot of people really liked him coming into this tournament. He had a pretty good fall, and then, I mean, the front nine took him out of it, and he just kind of limped home. And the worst part is, I mean, he, he kind of knows at this point shy of going 64-64. He's not going to make the cut. Now he's got to go out and play 36 more holes because the cut isn't until after Saturday because of the format of the tournament. So that's brutal to have to stick around for the whole extra day.
1: Kind of thought he was going to withdraw today if they didn't have the, the three rounds this, this weekend. They're, they all get to play three rounds before the cut, like you mentioned. I kind of thought he might withdraw. I mean, I watched a lot of it. Him and Gary Woodland at one point, they might have been... They might've had worse scores than the two amateurs in their group when they started the, the, the round. <laughs> I mean, they were hitting the water. They were just all over the map and I would just caution people like and some of my buddies were like, Oh, Matthew Wolf's done. He's lost it. Like he was top 10 in strokes gained the last six, eight months of the year. He's not lost in the wilderness yet. He had a bad day chunked one of the water. I just, I think with, with Matt, sometimes when things start going South, He's experienced nothing but pure, outrageous success in his life in golf that when it starts to go a little south, he just doesn't tend to rebound very quickly and it tends to snowball on him a little bit. And I think that's what happened today. That was that was disappointing to watch, but he does get two more rounds to, to just free himself up. Was he on the toughest? The stadium course was by far the toughest course today. Was he on the stadium course today?
0: I don't know which course he was on. I was watching the featured group coverage with, uh, with Taylor Gooch in it, and he didn't have himself a very good day either. Another former Cowboy who's really had a great six months, got his first win, uh, a lot of high finishes, longest active made cut streak on the tour at 10, uh, and coming into this event, he was playing great golf, goes out and shoots three over today, so... It's a tricky game, man. Everything can be going right, and then boom! One day your timings off, a couple putts don't fall. Next thing you know, you are let's see what's what is plus three. Plus three is T one forty three in a one hundred and fifty six man field.
1: Yep, Gooch was on the Stadium Course, which was the toughest one by far. So that'll help him moving forward. Wolf was also on the Stadium Course, so a lot of the guys that were on the Stadium Course shot over par. So hopefully that'll improve for them. But one and done. Who you got? Who you, would you take this week? I took Adam Hadwin this week,
0: Carson. It's uh, These one-and-done pools have become very popular. You pick pick a guy. For those I of you who aren't bets, you pick a guy. You can only pick him once. However many dollars he earns that week, that's how many points you get. At the end of the year, your total points is your total points, and then the pools pay out. Uh, Adam Hadwin, in his last five starts at this event, finished 32nd last year. The four years prior, he had not finished outside the top six, and he shot a 59 in that stretch in one of those years. So Adam Hadwin was my pick this week. Four under today. Carson,
1: what about you? Well, I guess I can't dog Adam Hadwin sitting at four under when I took Corey Connors, who's three over. Oh, no. Yeah.
0: Yikes. That's that's brutal because Connors is very consistent and reliable. So
1: if he doesn't pick it up, that's going to be a pretty tough pill to swallow that you burned him here. And he was on a heater. Uh, he's like – he's on the verge of winning he's been awesome for the last year so yeah. i stand by that pick maybe he'll go low tomorrow but i mean the reality
0: is for those of you who are golf people out there you know picking golf tournaments you you make a pick and you trust it and you stick with it if a guy goes out and plays bad that's just golf that is just golf it's that simple
1: that's just golf but uh victor hovland's uh in second place over on the euro tour so Maybe he can pick up a win for the Oklahoma State crew. But uh, it was cool. Gooch and uh, Charles Hall were playing together. So there was a lot of Oklahoma State talk. Ricky Fowler, of course, in one of the feature groups as well. So golf season's in full swing. Hopefully my one-and-done pick doesn't uh, miss the cut, even though he gets three rounds. But, uh, Colby, anything else before we get out of here? Uh, Don't believe so. Everybody have a good weekend. OSU, Texas, 1 o'clock on
0: Saturday. Go, folks.